Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, how's it going? Welcome to The Kindness Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with a good friend of mine, Nick Peel, a considered, thoughtful, and entrepreneurial business leader. We talk about the three caveats he has for life. It has to be a challenge, family involved, and fun most certainly is involved. And right at the end, we have a little bit of extra bonus content with a great life lesson. My name's Tim Bosworth, and this is The Kindness Podcast. Hi, welcome to The Kindest Podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this one, and yes, I say that every single time, uh, but uh, today you're really on for a treat. My guest is a, a collaborative, thoughtful, entrepreneurial business leader, uh, having worked within the property space for over 20 years now. He's currently the Managing Director of St. James's Quarter in Edinburgh, which is a, a new district in the city that connects existing streetscapes to a mixed-use destination uh, for the future. Um, he's worked in the Middle East and was responsible for leading the development and growth of the first Dubai financial market listed public traded company uh, focused on the growth of the retail sector. He's been a retail director for Arsenal Football Club. He's been a retail and brand director for Rangers Football Club. And I, I'd say a proud Scotsman and an all-round good guy to know. Nick Peel, welcome to The Kindest. Tim, thank you very much. It's an absolute delight to be here. Now, a pleasure. Now, I've known you for a number of years and um, what I've admired about you most is that when you see an opportunity, you go for it. We've spoken about your wants and interest in property, but I want to go back and get an understanding of where that love or interest came from. Were you a big Monopoly fan as a kid or did you fall into property? If you can just take us back to Nick Peel, the early years. Well, look, I think the irony... Tim, is my, uh, my mum and dad always told me to stay away from shopping centres and car parks, etc. So it's ironic that I've made a career out of right. it to, uh, to, to some degree. But look, I think growing up in the west coast of Scotland, just outside Glasgow, during uh, a period of recession, high unemployment, uh, you know, lots of traditional steelworks and car works, manufacturing, closing down... It gave me a hunger to get out and explore. And, you know, even at a relatively early age, I mean, one of my first roles was down here in Yorkshire with Morrison Supermarkets. And learning the commercial trade through someone as iconic as Sir Ken Morrison, who had amazing people skills, but... Uh, you know, knew how to drive a hard bargain and always put, always put the customer, the guest at the very centre, the very focal point of the, the organisation. 
that that was tremendously influential for me. And I I think, you know, any time I've been involved in psychometric profiling, and I don't want to get too textbooky here, but uh, three things get me out of bed in the morning, and it's always been the same for a number of decades now. Challenge, family, fun. And that challenge component in particular, you know, it, it, it means I tend to evaluate my career, even my personal life, in two, three years of my batches. So by definition, I'm not a steady-state operator. If there's something that's broken that needs fixed or there's something that's new that needs built, that's my sweet spot. That's, that's what I go after. So you talked about the um, Morrison's um, yeah. opportunity there. But prior to that, you know, talked about Glasgow and living in Glasgow in kind of the early years. Take me back to the early years of, of Nick in his of pre-teens, where you were a quiet kid, where you were an entrepreneurial kid, where you were a kid that got into trouble. You know, take me back to uh, the early years, if you don't mind. All of the above. All of the above. Uh, in, in truth, you know, a, a little bit of a strange situation. Uh, my mum's side of the family, very large Irish, Irish Catholics, a background, uh, some daughters and three uh, boys as, as part of a, a family, a wider family of ten. So that, there was a there was a strong sort of like religious sort of like peace, very good sort of morals, uh, you know, strong moral compass attached to all of that. What religion was that? Uh, Catholic? Catholic, yeah, okay. yeah. And then uh, my uh, my dad, who was this English Protestant dude from Manchester, who had come up and was a little bit like a, a fish out of water. So whilst all my friends were running about in Celtic and Rangers sort of like shirts. Uh, I was the kid that was running about with a, a light blue Manchester City sort of like top in uh, in the the early sort of like seventies. So, you know, I, I I always felt a bit different in that environment, and I think you know hearing my dad talk about some of his adventures during the war, having worked also in Germany and Holland, etc., gave me a sense of uh, travel lust. I, I I need to get out of west coast of Scotland and I needed to go explore and uh, I think it's I think it's actually a, quite a, a strong Scottish trait mm. I and mean, if you look at the Scottish diaspora North America Asia etc we're good travellers we get out there and we get stuff done so you touched on your dad almost inspiring you in a way to just to get out there so what would be the, the typical young Scottish boy or girl doing are they working in the local town and city, and that's where they live and die? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was a classic case. I mean, my, my dad's family came from uh, just outside Manchester, Ashton, Underline. They owned uh, four pubs and a restaurant when my grandfather passed, uh, as was at that time the estate fell to my dad, his oldest son. But my mum, who came from Colbarkin in, uh, not easy to say, Tim, I'll test you on that one later, who came from uh, just outside uh, Glasgow, uh, didn't want to move. Her, her, her mum, her dad, her sisters, her, her brothers were all located in and around that area. And they passed up the opportunity to, uh, to take on board what must have been a, a pretty lucrative hospitality business at that point in time. My dad walked away from it and it went to his younger brother mm. and and so you know look at I, I I think a sense of intrigue a sense that there was something bigger and better sort of like out there and uh you know that that that's what's driven me I mean even although now Harrogate is his family home you know as you said sort of like earlier we spent three and a half years in the Middle East uh, which was fantastic from a family perspective. We, uh, you know, I worked on Battersea Power Station development. I was living and working in London and coming back up at weekends and now now in Edinburgh. So uh, I, think, I think that sense of being in different places, experiencing different cultures, uh, I love the idea of building teams, aligning people behind common goals, common objectives, and just driving with pace and excuse my language getting shit done there's a sure. lot of people out there who sure. talk a good game mm. but operational execution i think is something different no i totally agree and you touched on those three elements of pretty much family fun and the first one remind me uh 
of the three key points you mentioned there? Family, uh, sorry, challenge, family and fun. Yeah, challenge, family and fun. Um, going back to that challenge piece then, were you someone who, or are you someone who likes a challenge per se, or is it that when the challenge presents itself to you, you're, okay, what do I need to do to get this done? A hundred percent. Tell me I can't do something. Tell me it can't be done. I'm there. So if I tell you that growing up in the west coast of Scotland, there were two football teams, hate's a very strong word, but there were two football teams that, you know, perhaps weren't my favourites. One was Arsenal and one was Rangers. And I ended up being a director of both of them. Mm. That probably tells you a little bit about my character. Sure, interesting. So there's clearly a pattern and a, almost a, um, some people use the word, let's say, uh, itch or integrity piece that you're wanting to find out more, learn more, do more through the travel and, and through the business challenges. Constantly learning. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, know, I know often use phrase, but I don't think any of us are, are ever going to be the, the complete article. So an inquiring mind. Uh, and interestingly, I see that in, in my kids now. You know, the, the questions that they ask, albeit very different topics now, mm-hmm. in a different era, but uh, an inquiring mind, uh, a thirst for knowledge. What's new? Keyword, what's new? So what's been your most... Difficult challenge to date, whether that's work, family, life in general. You know, what has been that kind of pivotal moment? You thought, oh, God, you know what, this really tested me. Well, it, there's there's been a number. Uh, you know, if I think of of the time that we spent in the Middle East, uh, you know, even moving to Dubai as a family. When you go to live and work there, it's not the sand and the sea and the party life that you might enjoy when you not? go on holiday. No, absolutely not. Ad- adapting to local culture uh, requires a huge degree of, of respect. And of course, in somewhere like the United Arab Emirates, uh, local Emiratis only make up somewhere in the region of 11% of the population. There's then a, a, a Western expat uh, tranche in in the middle, and then a huge, a huge number. You know, literally, you know, a couple of million of of uh, what you might describe as as the workforce. So uh, you know, Indians, Pakistanis, Filipinos, etc. And I think after the first six months of moving to Dubai, I would say on average every two or three days, Fee and I looked at each other and said what the hell have we done? Uh, kids going to school. So what, what's, what's happening? Is it just a, is it the conflict of interest? Was it just this a race issue? Was it well, no, economics? Well, Tim, I think it's things that you, you, can, you can talk about uh, and, and you, you, you try and, you try and rationalise, but take something like education for, for, my, uh, for my two little daughters. Uh, learning compulsory Arabic for two hours a week came as a shock. When you sign up for an English curriculum school that is part of Repton and Foremark from, uh, from uh, uh, the middle of England, you, know, you, you tend to think there's going to be a certain approach, but you know, in truth, very, very different. And then you know, the kids having to adapt to a, a, a multicultural, multiracial environment, which actually turned out to be, as soon as we'd navigated the first six months, turned out to be an incredible strength. So they were in classrooms with Emiratis, with uh, Canadians, Americans, Australians, uh, Indians, uh, Chinese, etc. And so in, in a very tight-knit sort of like group, socialising after work, Weekends, birthday parties, kids' birthday parties. Uh, just an amazing shock. You know, you, you go from soft play and McDonald's here to perhaps being invited to something where your kids need a chaperone to go on daddy's boat in the Arabian Sea for right. something like for two or three days. Sure. It, 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 it turns your world upside, literally upside down. And is that down. in terms of the, the lifestyle piece? Is that in terms of 
using the example of McDonald's and, and kids play or soft play yeah. to the yacht. Are you saying that within the Emirates that was the norm? Yeah, very much so. Right. I mean, you know, quite quite status driven. You know, where where you lived, uh, I think was uh, you know was was deemed to you know produce a certain sort of like status. The type of car that you drove. Did you have a driver? Did you have a maid? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Is this so, asked of you, or you get there's a sense? Yeah, there's. A, I, I think there's an expectation as a you know as, as an expat senior leader who's in uh, you know the the, the local media etc. Uh, with a listed company as mm. well, and of course, I mean, just the, you know, the simple, the simple language of like barriers. I mean, I myself don't didn't speak Arabic, mm-hmm. and so board meetings would assume a different dimension, where you know potentially some of the board meetings conducted in English, and then some board members, uh, investors, go off into an Arabic chat, and that's you know, you're entirely dependent then on someone translating for you, and so trust becomes a huge, mm. huge topic. Mm. And that in itself is a challenge. If I say, this is what I'm saying, yet the interpreter is sending a different message, that key messaging, there's a disconnect there. Exactly so. Uh, and so, look, uh, I, I, I say that, it sounds incredibly challenging. It was a six-month period. I, I can look back on that three and a half years and safely say that it's one of the happiest periods of my life. Go back to learning, go back to challenge, family, fun, tick, tick, tick. Mm. You know, an amazing experience. And I'm, I'm lucky, look, I, you, 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 uh, you know my other, uh, my other half. She had this fantastic idea while we were out there where she said, for this three, three and a half year period, we're not going back west during holiday periods. We're going to go east. And of course, there were lots of budget airlines mm. out there. So, in a very short period of time, Sri Lanka, Maldives, Mauritius. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds very grand. The, the truth of the matter is, you actually didn't have to spend too much money to make those those sort of like visits. So, we crammed an enormous amount of international travel into a into a, a three year period, which mm-hmm. again for the kids. Uh, multicultural uh, schooling, learning new languages, uh, international travel. I have to say it accelerated their development. And now I would, I would genuinely say my, my, my kids are, you know, the, the citizens of the world. They, it, it's improved. They've just become sponges. To yes. it, 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 it's been fantastic. A really, really good experience. I think Having said sorry. all of that... Mm. Try getting them to go to Scarborough now for a weekend. <laughs> Doesn't work. Well, do you know how? I, I, I apologize, I interrupted there brief before, but I think that is the world in which they live in now. It is, and I remember a, a good friend of mine, and I see if I can remember the quote that he stated, which was that we all will live within a world of globalization, and globalization is upon us, whether we like it or not. And you touched on it. We are now citizens of the world. Yep. And I look. I think you know the jobs probably that my kids are going to carry out in 10, 15, 20 years' time, perhaps haven't even been invented yet. Mm. But one of my, you know, one of my kind of mantras when I talk, when I talk to them is, look, whatever you do, even study, travel, go and see, go and experience new and, and different cultures, go to different places. And uh, nothing would please me more if they either studied internationally or worked internationally in, mm-hmm. in years to come. No, absolutely. No, I certainly agree. Um, I want to, um, if you don't mind, again, go back and get a sense of this interest in, in property. Um, it's something that I've been interested in for a number of years now, and particularly more to do with the urbanisation side of it, the, the idea that people, communities and cultures um, are shaped by their environments, are shaped by the people that inhabit these environments, whether it's the local coffee shop, the florist, there's individual connection pieces to a, a community, a, an urbanisation area. I want you, to, if you don't mind, just give me an understanding of how, for example, St James's um, Court in Edinburgh is changing the landscape of, of Edinburgh and perhaps you can touch on the Middle East and, and how that um, development itself changes the, the landscape as well. Well, look, I, I think some something like uh, Edinburgh, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed that I've got two investors, uh, one American, one Dutch, who are incredibly strategic and long-term in their, their thinking and, and planning. So it's not, about, it's not about the quick buck. And they saw an opportunity in Edinburgh 
really by analysing Edinburgh's strengths and weaknesses, but particularly its strengths, and obviously it has a rich history and heritage of events. I mean, the Fringe and Festival is the third biggest ticketed event on the planet behind World Cup and Olympics. So there's, a, there's one month per year during August where the population of Edinburgh doubles in size. And Edinburgh is, it's the hub, it's the landing point for all things Scottish. We spoke earlier about the Scottish diaspora. So if you're, if you're coming to Scotland and you, you, you're interested in golf, you're interested in castles and genealogy and, and ancestry, you're interested in whiskey, uh, you know, the, the people tend to arrive in Edinburgh and mm-hmm. use it as a bit of a base. Mm-hmm. The castle, Princess Street, is, you know, is very iconic. And Edinburgh has also had a, a, a reputation for reinventing itself. Old town, new town. Uh, you know, it, it, it's always had that strong entrepreneurial spirit as well as being a strong financial centre. So when you put all of those things together... I think the piece that was missing was a, a strong retail-led destination. Uh, the leakage to Glasgow in particular has been huge over, over decades. You know, Edinburghers would tend to go to, to Glasgow for Christmas shopping. So Interesting. Right, OK. So the idea was uh, there was an, an old shopping centre, and shopping centre are the words that are banned here because the, the, the asset, the destination that we created is anything but a shopping centre. It was retail-led, but it's mixed use in the truest sense of the word. So these investors saw this opportunity, uh, and I'm going back now 12, 13 years. It's taken that length of time to go through planning, to demolish uh, the old property and rebuild, topography, world heritage site, lots of lots of barriers and challenges to, to overcome. But uh, they've spent the best part of a billion pounds on St James Quarter, and it is mixed use in the truest sense of the word. So uh, over 80 uh, retail stores, over 30 restaurants, food and beverage opportunities, quite a strong offer on nighttime economy, bars, what we would call competitive socialising. So Lane 7, uh, quite an upmarket, disruptive sort of like bowling concept, another one or two of those still to open. Uh, and a park hotel. We're just about to open a brand new Everyman, the latest design Everyman boutique cinema, first one in, in Edinburgh. And then the Pièce de Résistance, which will open in 2023, which is Scotland's first W hotel, which will include Sushi Samba, Great hotel, a yeah. rooftop bar, overlooking. And the views are spectacular. I'm saying that I am a proud Scot, but the views are spectacular, 360 degrees. On one end, you're looking out over Firth of Forth, you can see the Forth Road Bridge. And on the other end, it's uh, Calton Hill, it's Arthur's Seat, it's the castle. Uh, if you're ever looking for a place to celebrate Hogmanay and New Year's Eve in late 2023, Tim let me tell you, this is the place to be. Got it. Uh, you and I need to be there. So uh, the the opportunity to be involved with with something like that, I mean, it, it, it's a game changer. You know, it, it's not property for property's sake. This is something that, you know, has will create a sense of, of community. It will be a focal point for international tourists. And, you know, hopefully as COVID starts to subside, and international tourism returns to Edinburgh and the tattoo is up and running again and the Fringe and the Festival and all the, the main events, uh, St James Quarter should be the catalyst for rebooting Edinburgh city centre. Uh, and in that respect, you know, the, there is only one other major development of that size and shape coming out of the ground in the UK, and that is... Battersea, Battersea Power Station, which I was lucky enough to work on as well. Mm. And and then um, just moving on to the the Emirates piece there. You know, what's the sort of the cultural landscape landscape there? You know, because my my wife used to work there many years ago now, but seemingly my own worldview it's very Tawi led. You know, a lot of YouTubers and Instagrammers. I'm seeing. Oh, we're going to Dubai. We're going to Dubai. Now, to your point earlier on, that's probably a small percentage of those expats who are there. 
the larger piece being the workers. And then there's, you mentioned, I think it was 11% of the other people coming over. Yeah. What's your view on uh, on the Emirates and the, the Middle Eastern view of, not so much property, but just how you see the, the space, the people, etc.? Huge admiration for United Arab Emirates. Uh, I think a lot of people make the mistake of viewing all of the Middle East as, as one region. And, and let me tell you, Saudi is very different to uh, Kuwait, is very different to Oman, is very different to Bahrain, etc., etc. And even the, 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 the subtle differences between Abu Dhabi and Dubai that are only an hour apart mm-hmm. uh, on Sheikh Zayed Road, uh, you know, are quite, quite enormous. Uh, so look, I, I, leadership for me is, is you know, it, it's something that has intrigued me ever since like school days. And I'm not a huge fan of committee decision-making. And, you know, w- without getting into uh, any kind of, civil rights like discussions. I think when an entity like United Arab Emirates with one man at the top of the tree says, guys, here's the target. We're all off over there. And everybody aligns behind that goal and objective. But with heart and minds, then you, you, you can literally move mountains. And if you look at the development of Dubai as a city over a 30, 40 year period, extraordinary, nothing like it on the planet. So I can't help but be impressed by that. I think what they've achieved in that period of time has been absolutely extraordinary. Do you think leaders are born or made? Good question. I mean, the, the, the number of times we, we, we all kind of debate this, I, I think Look, I think there has to be an inherent sort of like passion and, and drive and, and energy, but uh, you refine those skills through experience. I certainly know that my leadership style 30 years ago is incredibly different to, to what it is today. And, uh, you know, I think learning the softer skills uh, in particular, I think, Realizing the power of, sort of the uh, of human capital, uh, and also patience, dare I say, uh, you know, I think listening skills, some of those softer skills come to the fore. I think the, the the older you get and the more experienced you become. Do you feel that age and experience versus youth and enthusiasm can go hand in hand, or? Has to do, Tim. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm incredibly excited about, you know, all things digital at this moment in time. Uh, you know, I, I learned from my from my kids. I mean, they literally, as, as uh, you know, th- this morning, one of my do- daughters had an idea for St. James Quarter revolving around TikTok. You and I wouldn't have been talking about TikTok sort mm-hmm. of like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I think with new young emerging talent and energy coming into our business and bringing new ideas and addressing new marketplace uh, marketplaces, incredibly excited about all of that. And again, I'm lucky that I, I have some investors at St. James Quarter who invest in the future. We don't spend too much time looking in the rear view mirror. It's what's appropriate, mm. structure, strategy, investment criteria, for 23, 24. And those are the types of discussions we're now having with, with retailers and restaurant operators. You know, we're, we're saying to them, look, don't give us what you've, you've got on the high street in, in, you know, any city in, you know, Nottingham or Manchester or wherever. What are you working on? Mm. What have you got in development for 23, 24? And bring it, to, bring it to St. James Quarter. That's what we're interested in. So Nick, here's an idea. We are in an imaginary space and we are going out for dinner and cocktails with our respective halves. Tell me, if you could, um, dream in colour with me. Tell me what that future space looks like. How are we entering this space? How are we being presented? Uh, and what are we doing? What's the kind of the future of retail and hospitality as you see it? Well, we, we've got a couple of absolute absolutely cracking concepts at, at St. James Quarter uh, r- right now. Uh, we've got the latest iteration of The Alchemist. I know it's in 
in Leeds, but uh, they have built in some flexible space into St James Quarter. And it, it's, a, it's a form of balcony, but they invite brands in to take over that space and offer something different for a day, a fortnight, a weekend. Uh, it could be a live performance. It could be some drinks brands where there's a cocktail sort of like event. It could be a VIP ticketed event. So I think having that type of flexibility where instead of just saying, I'm going to The Alchemist, it's what's on at The Alchemist this week, yeah? So experience, Tim, is, is absolutely everything. Equally, we have a complete one-off in St. James Quarter, which is called Bonnie and Wild Food Hall. It's about 16,500 square foot. And there are 10 concessions within it. And every single one of them rely upon Scottish produce. And it is literally the butcher, the baker, the not quite the candlestick maker, but cheese, etc. And if, if you know, they've been they've been lucky enough to bring in some pretty successful restaurateurs from Glasgow and from Edinburgh, uh, but it, it's all predicated on Scottish produce. And the idea is, if you and me and our respective better halves were going out, you could eat at the fish counter, I could eat at the chicken counter, your wife could eat at the pasta counter and my uh, better half could eat at the uh, the pizza counter, but they're all going to enjoy best-in-class Scottish produce. And again, comes with a VIP event space that can hold 60, 70 people. And this opportunity to work with local businesses or even invite other brands in, artisan, local independents who are doing something new and interesting, week in, week out, there's a reason for keeping it fresh. Mm. And I would agree with that because I think as spaces and places change, based on the technology that we use, the content in which we're being consumed by, through our phones, our mobile devices, our digital devices, means that when we go to these places, we're not just going for pizza or fish or whatever food you're interested in. We're going for the experience. To then tell that experience through our social platforms. Hashtag I was at whatever event I was at. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, another brief example, we have another, uh, a, a, it's called Thai Kitchen, uh, which, uh, which opened only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and if I tell you that I was actually in there behind the pass cooking my own pad thai uh, about... To, I know, it, 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 amazing, isn't it? I can see the look on your face, Tim. It's, it's somewhat Are incredible. Did you, you cook? No, not at all. So that, listen, it, no one more surprised than me. But I came away from that having had the Thai chef alongside me, took me on the journey. I am now... I've not just bought that brand. I've joined that brand i have an affinity with that brand so mm. i'm telling you now if yeah. you come to edinburgh you have to go to thai kitchen sure. because the food's great and you're going to love the experience yeah and you're right there because i think when businesses transcend their traditional commercial processes they move to that higher plane of i don't know uh, it's i'm trying the name escapes me but it's i think it was, not, it was a book about uh, love brands, that was it, yep. about love brands and how those businesses transform themselves into bigger things than they actually their processes or operational processes uh, give off. Um, and what you're saying there is that you know, brands now have to be that. They have to tell the story. Yeah, it's the whole narrative. I mean, my, my daughter, 14, she's interested in the supply chain wow. for the products that she buys. I mean, if she buys from Pullen Bear, Stradivarius, mm. Bershka, Inditex... This idea of fast fashion, and it's it's you know it's a topic that's obviously been raised at school. It's part of the whole environmental sustainability mm. agenda. But she's interested where the products coming from, and you know, in at the back of her mind, unless she's going to wear it eight times, you know, should she be buying something from a, a secondhand, a pre-loved, uh, really, you know, fashion store, and that. that you know, at the age of 14, that's pretty powerful. Mm. You know, that, that, that's pretty powerful. So just so I'm clear, you're saying that 
her decision making for purchase is based on provenance of brand. Yeah, I think that's starting to undoubtedly creep into fashion in particular, uh, mm. Tim. So fast fashion, if it's coming from a sweatshop in China where there are 20 women sitting behind sewing machines and getting paid the square root of sawed all, mm. question mark, is that sustainable in the truest sense of the word? I wonder, because we are, unfortunately, a nation of consumers and we consume everything faster than I would dare to think. We want it now. If not, we want it yesterday. Yeah. So there is the um, moral piece that says, I buy from this brand because this brand does this and this brand does that and it's very ethical. Yeah, on the other hand, it's all Amazon Prime, please. I want it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So there's this again, dichotomy. Absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the challenge for businesses and, and brands trying to play, not play, wrong word, trying to ensure that they are operating on a field that is honest and true. Yeah. And if you stick to a line that is honest and true, then you can't go wrong. Yeah. It's when you start bullshitting your customers and telling them one thing. And then when you found out, that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. Completely agree. Have you had any examples of where, or do you know of any examples where brands have done that in, in your industry, in your sector? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's probably a little bit unfair to, to, to call out those those that have uh, that have hit the headlines over the the uh, the course of the last year or two. I mean, there are a number predominantly in and around that fashion, fast fashion sector. But what what I what I do know from experience uh, is that ESG, environment, social, and government criteria, is becoming a huge issue for all investors, a set of standards for a company's operation that that basically you know, give, give any potential investor or indeed a customer, a consumer, a, a guide on how socially conscious the organization is uh, and, and and how it's how it's run. And you know Is that, that similar to B Corp? Uh, well look it, it's it's something that I mean the two investors that, that that I deal with that are invested in St James Quarter. I mean they are they are effectively pension funds of like managers, and if you know if you were to look at their websites, I, I would say ESG rating is almost as important as financial performance. Just tell me again what that ESG stands for again. Environmental, social, and governance criteria. Mm-hmm. So. The investment community worldwide, particularly pension funds, are now looking very, very strongly at that that, that set of criteria for any business that they're they're about to uh, invest in. This leads me nicely on to the first question I ask about what kindness means to you. Um, you know, those are elements. You know, there's an element of the kindness to the environment, the, the social kindness piece, and, and then that governance in terms of how we view the world as a whole. Um, I'd be interested to get your take and perhaps wrap that around kindness, if you may, um, and how you view the world, perhaps from these investment criteria. Yeah. Look, I, I think, you know, having done a, a little bit of, sort of like research before coming in here today, I mean, the, the dictionary definition, Tim, for kindness, friendly, generous, consider it but on a personal level you know for those that, that know me I mean I, I do love a quote and the the one that I'm, I'm going to give you right now is from uh, Maya Angelou the American poet and civil rights activist and Maya Angelou said I've learned that people will forget what you said people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think for me, as initially a manager, then a leader, growing up, developing my career, going through uh, lots of different businesses, the, I think the biggest asset that any organisation can have is people. And so that ability to communicate, not just with the board and the chief exec, but the cleaner, the guy on the shop floor, the worker, you know, common language, respect for the individual, always. 
Uh, and again, it's it's about aligning individuals behind common goals, behind common objectives, and 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 delivering a set of values, having a moral compass that everybody can relate to. And I I think, you know, go back to that dictionary definition of of kindness. I think, you know, friendly, generous, considerate. Never is that more important in modern day business than it is today. Mm. No, I, I agree. In principle, I wonder whether or not it is carried out on a daily basis is my second thought, um, particularly as you look at the current stats in terms of who the most wealthiest individuals in the world are and then how they got there. Um, I remember listening to a podcast and it was asked if someone wants to ask you, do you know anybody wealthy or rich or who's been successful? To which the respondent and the audience raised their hand the next question was asked was did that individual work for anybody else or did they work for themselves and there's an even it's an even split between those who are entrepreneur enough and driven enough to see something those visionaries who see something see an opportunity and go and get it and are wholehearted and you touched on the the emirati um example of how having a one view one vision where you all get behind it one for all, all for one and there's another argument where those individuals who have perhaps succeeded who haven't been as, let's say, kind, but been able to drive forward and create the world and view that in which they feel is one in which the future um, would rely on. Jeff Bozos, for example, had a view, had a vision of how we would live in the future and how we would receive our goods and services. I wonder whether or not, uh, Nick, going back to those, those three elements of um, you know, challenge, family and fun, if you could just touch on kindness from a perspective of of governance because the the idea behind the show is if i can see a pattern between business culture community because there's gonna be somebody listening who runs an organization from a senior perspective there could be a junior executive there who's just starting out on their career i wanted to get your thoughts on 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 how you view the future of business you've obviously touched on those those key elements there's, there's governance elements there there's environmental and social elements there how do you see the future of business from a kindness perspective? Look, I think, you know, what I see on a, a fairly regular basis, the, 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 the leaders that I look up to at this moment in time have a very strong personal touch to their communication style. Uh, they, they don't talk mumbo-jumbo. Uh, you know the, all the old uh, organisational cliches, uh, you know, appear to have disappeared, and I think they also devote time. They actually carve out time. You know, sometimes these things don't come naturally. So, like, Tim, I think you have to be you have to make a conscious effort to create time to talk to the people that that matter, and equally have some form of mechanism that allows the really really good ideas to come from the shop floor to the top. So rather than top down, how do you encourage this, this, this bottom up approach? And, and none of that, you know, n- none of that happens by default. You, you have to create an environment where people feel as though they've got a voice, where they can talk. And I think the really clever organizations, really smart organizations, flat structure, not a lot of hierarchy and create time to get out, press the flesh, talk to people, mm. encourage bottom-up ideas. As you were talking there, the, the company that sprung to mind was Google and they had a lot of their developers have, uh, I think it's something called like Google Days or out, Outreach Days where they would ask all of their employees just to take some time out of their week and just go and think about ideas, just go and think about how they could make the business better. And then off the back of that, products and software pieces came off that. I think it was AdSense came from it and Google, um, I think it was Google News came from that. So yes, having the ability to say, we trust that you'll stay with us. If you give us loyalty, we will give you freedom of time and freedom of opportunity to then go go create, go do. And I, look, I think also a lot of Western organisations, businesses get siloed in their thinking. And truthfully, some of the best ideas come from other sectors. So openly and honestly, I mean, if I think of our guest services team at St. James Quarter, you know, some of the ideas that, that, that we've 
uh, we've embraced and delivered come from the airline industry. They come from five-star hospitality hotels. You know, I don't mean it to sound arrogant, but there's probably not too much that we can learn from looking at Westfield shopping centres. You know, so we, we're, we're always looking for what's best, what's new, what's different, uh, and what can achieve that connection with the guest, but from other industries as well. You're clearly, uh, as I see it, someone who is a considered leader, someone who takes a moment to think, process, understand both their industry, their sector, the people within those industries, and then make the considered decision. Where does that come from? Hasn't always been like that. Too. Okay. Uh, I don't mind admitting early part of my career, impetuous, like, you know, let's get things done. Mindset of, if it ain't broke, let's break it. So I think, you know, a, a bit of, a little bit of uh, experience, patience, uh, learning, openly and honestly, I've had one or two executive coaches during my career. Interestingly, one during the, the tenure in Dubai, uh, a, a Welsh gentleman who uh, to this day remains a, a very, very close friend and I check in with him from, from time to time. But, uh, yeah, I, I think experience and, and look, always learning, looking at you know, other leaderships of like styles and, and other industries and reading that, going back to that original piece, having an inquiring sort of like mind, what, what's, what's new, what's different. So who inspires you then? Who inspires me? Uh, first of all, my, uh, my kids do, hugely. Uh, you know, I, I think you get to a point in your, sort of like your career, look, I've, I've been chief exec, I've been managing director, I've worked on, you know, as you said, you know, Arsenal, Rangers, uh, Battersea Power Station, St James Quarter, uh, worked internationally. Uh, I, I think there are a number of individuals that I've, I've been lucky enough to work alongside during that sort of like journey who have all provided sort of like inspiration at different points in time. Uh, and and now, look, I take my inspiration from, if I think of the next two years, I take my inspiration for what's new, what's, what's coming down the track. I know there's going to be a W Hotel opening at St James Quarter. I know we've got a couple of fantastic international restaurants coming, like Duck and Waffle, uh, to Edinburgh, you know, first for, a first for sort of like Scotland. Uh, it's going to be the return of the Fringe, the festival. We've done a deal. We're going to be a partner. We're actually, we have nine event spaces. We're going to have live performance there. That's, that's a thrill. That's a, that's a buzz. We're a huge digital roadmap and investment. We're about to launch a St. James Quarter sort of like that. So the amount of new and different uh, work streams that I, I have in front of me for the next 24, 36 months is, is enormous. That, that's, that's, hugely, uh, that's hugely motivational. And then uh, our investors also recognise that sport's a big part of my life. So I'm also a, a non-exec director of the World Cycling Championships, which come to Glasgow in 2023. So that gives me my, uh, my little fix of sort of like sport. Sure, and, uh, sure. That's going to be the biggest ever world cycling event uh, on the planet. So incredibly uh, excited about that as well. So you touched on, on the sport and the cycling thing. Um, are you a big, I'm not, but are, are you a big sports fan, football fan? You talked about some Scotland. Yeah. Who's your who's, go-to team then? Who are your... Who's my go-to team? Listen, my, th- this is absolutely true. My, my, uh, my friends refer to me as six team Nick. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my allegiances are, uh, there are six different teams whose results I look for uh, every sort of like Saturday. So obviously Arsenal and Rangers, you, mm-hmm. can't, you can't work for institutions like that and not have an emotional attachment. Sure. So, uh, you know, I, I love both of those clubs. Uh, St Mirren, my hometown team. Uh, Leeds United, I have a very good friend who, uh, who I worked with at Arsenal, who's chief exec at Leeds and uh, occasionally gets me tickets for Ellen Road. The only club that I have 
uh, a season ticket for is Harrogate Town. Right. So I've watched Harrogate Town go through the leagues for the last 10 seasons. Uh-huh. And that's been a fantastic success story. And then on a national team perspective, Tim, I have to tell you, if Scotland were playing Tiddlywinks, <laughs> I would be uh, I would be there singing Flyer of Scotland and sort of uh, and, and chanting it from the rooftops. So any time the Scottish national team play, uh, I'm uh, the, the hairs almost stand in the back of my neck, and it's it's the hope that kills you. No, well, I think um, like most fans who are uh, proud of watching their teams, it, it's that hope that drives them, and probably drives everybody yeah. when you're following a, a sport or a passion. Um, I wanted to jump on to the, the third point you mentioned. You've obviously talked about the challenges, the, the sort of family briefly, you talked about your daughters there. Um, but I want to talk about the, the, the fun elements. You know, what is it that um, makes you smile? Uh, what is it that um, you're, I talked about inspiration, who you're inspired by, but what is it that Nick goes, you know what, yeah, that, that makes me smile. Is it food? Do you like a restaurant? What's, what's your go-to? Um, so again, look, my, I'm blessed that I met the love of my life 15 years ago and that was pretty transformational for me, I, I have to be honest. And uh, she's, you know, she's just great fun to be about and, uh, and you know, st- stops me uh, getting too serious about myself. So, you know, Fee's, Fee's good fun. She keeps it real. Kids are amazing, uh, fantastic. The two dogs... Uh, both of them mad as a, a box of frogs, and uh, you know enjoy spending time with them. But you know my 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 guilty uh, my guilty pleasure is, uh, is cinema. I'm obsessed by cinema. Are I you have, really? I have to go to the cinema probably once a week. Let's talk if, film. Nick. No, uh, here we go. What's the last uh, film you watched then? The last film I watched was uh, well, a series or yeah. I actually took the kids just before Christmas to watch. Uh, a Pixar movie called El Canto, which uh, is a kind of a musical thing. The chap who'd done Hamilton uh, kind of wrote it. And so it was some great music. Kids loved it. I'm about to go tomorrow up in Edinburgh to watch uh, The Matrix, uh, the, the latest Matrix of that film. There's different views on that, isn't there? You know, I think if you saw it the first time round, you fully appreciated the technological, gosh, mind-blowing experiences that came with the film. And now... And now one could argue, is it the norm that there's an explosion and there's bullet time and slow-mo? I Tim, wonder. Tim, I still see myself walking about in a, a long black leather coat <laughs> and uh, bending to, uh, to avoid bullets. So Goodness me, that's your daily occurrence, is it? Yeah, don't hold, don't hold that thought for too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're right. Film, really, and I touched on this in a, in a previous podcast, for me it was music. Yeah. Um, you touched on, on film there. I think what film does, it transports us to a place. It, it transports us to a moment in time where we can for an hour, two hours, just step into that character's shoes and, and, and really be taken to a place where we perhaps may not want to go or may want to go. I think that travel does that as well, I would, I would, I would argue. Yeah, it's escapism to some degree, mm. but uh, a really good opportunity just to zone out and, uh, and as you say, you know, uh, you know, equally spend a bit of, sort of like family time as well. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Uh, Nick, it's at this time in the show where we ask our sort of second main question uh, in terms of uh, the kindest um and i've often thought about how i lead into this question because it's not a question i don't think one often asks oneself um and the question is if you were to die tomorrow what would you do differently to be the kindest in the room now i don't know if everyone asks themselves that question but I, i want to ask that question because it will allow us i think and i hope to take perspective of the moments and I, I know for myself, for one, by asking myself that question, I have to take stock of the things that I, I value, like my family and my friendships and my networks around that. So I ask that question in the hope that my guests will give me some kind of insight and some kind of learning into um, what and how and, and could I be this person, a better person. So I ask you that question, Nick, and if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do differently to be the kindest in the room? Tim, I'm, I'm not sure I'd do too much that would be that would be very different and again I I don't mean that to sound arrogant but it starts with family doesn't it and you know as I mentioned earlier I'm I'm blessed I've got amazing kids big hearts good manners relatively well behaved not sure the teachers at school would would agree with me but relatively well behaved so you know 
I think a, a bit more of the same from 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 them. You know, I think I'd be encouraging them to to take that current approach into adulthood, uh, spread some laughter, travel, enjoy life, have inquiring minds, and spread a bit of love. You know, keep keep learning, but you know, keep on that trajectory. I, I think they're in a good place and I'd be encouraging them to do a bit more. Mm. And interestingly, those who perhaps have parents, sorry, have parents, but those who have children, perhaps view a world, and you touched on hope earlier on, view a world through hope through their children's eyes, mm. in so much that through your children, you wish for them and hope that they have a world and a, and a life that is full of as you touched on, the, you know, the intrigue and difference and experience. And not because you didn't, but it's the hope that comes with that. I think so, uh, Tim. And it's, look, it's the, it's the human element as well. Uh, you know, look, if I had a, a little bit of a fear, it's, it's the, the digital arena that they, they now live in. Uh, you know, I don't want to see them on iPads or iPhones day in, sort of like day out. Uh, at this moment in time, we're pretty good at home at, at, uh, at monitoring that to a degree mm. but uh, yeah I'd, I'd like to I'd like to encourage them to you know, human first mm. no I, I agree and with, with my kids as much dare I say it probably the parents who are listening would agree sometimes you think oh you know what they are they have been on their yeah. iPads god our kids craggy two hours on the trot to be fair yeah but dare I say it, sometimes it's easy I know um, and when it's easy, you think to yourself, because I'm doing that thing. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, you, know, you want them to be able to socialise, look people in the eyes exactly. and talk to them and be able to communicate. So there's a, a fine line between how technology um, is part of our lives, part of their lives for sure. You know, I, I only saw my niece only yesterday who has a phone and an iPad aged I don't, 11. Yeah. Yet I think of my first phone. Gosh, let me think now. Do you remember the Matrix banana phone? I think it was called. <laughs> Talking about the Matrix, you know, it was that that slimy. Was it called the banana phone? I think yeah. it was something like that. Yeah. That was my first phone. I think I got that when I was at university. <laughs> Aged, I don't know, eighteen is when you go to university. I think it was. So the world in which our children or our friends' children live in is one in which the technology that's around them is ever present. Yeah. So to have an iPad or to have a phone is just the norm. Exactly so. Uh, and look, I, I think it's just about getting the balance. You know, you, you wouldn't want them to lose any of that human touch as they, as they grow up. I, I think that would be, that'd be really, really sad. Nick, I want to ask you one, one final question, if I may. And um, I think for those people listening, you know, hopefully they would have taken away from this that in order to be a, a considered leader, in order to be somebody who commands presence, there's a certain element of understanding humans, understanding human capital, understanding people, having a view and a one world view. The question I ask is, what one piece of advice would you give someone to live a kinder life? So Tim, the, the answer to that is, I've actually got two pieces of, of, of advice and the first one's really, really simple and it's be kind to yourself. First and foremost, if you can't treat yourself with respect and a degree of kindness, how can you hope to be kind to others? And, you know, I've, I've witnessed leaders or business colleagues in the past who, you know, perhaps haven't been as self-aware as maybe they, they should have been. I, I'm sure there have been times even in my career where, you know, I've lacked a degree of self-awareness. But I, I think being kind to yourself is is something that uh, that folks ought to consider. And then the second one is, again, really simple. Don't rush in. And I think this does come a little bit with age and experience, but listen, reflect. Don't send that WhatsApp message. Don't send that email. Sleep on it overnight. Let the emotion die down. And just, you know, whatever confronts you, challenging or otherwise, Try and just take a little bit of time and get some perspective. I think perspective is so important as you go on life's journeys, business and personal. Nick, I think uh, with that being said, uh, you have been the kindest in the room. I think those kind of uh, statements, those kind of life principles, I think we should all take note of. And, um, you know, if anything can be taken from this, 
Um, it's just pause, take a moment, like you say, reflect before acting. And yes, that does come with perhaps with age and experience, which is not to say that um, youth and enthusiasm is, is, is not um, a good uh, skill to have. But I think certainly from what you said there, it's really something that I think those listening should take stock of in order to develop their skills as people as we live in an ever-changing world. Uh, where can anyone um, reach out to you, Nick, or you talked about St. James's and, and what's going on there. Where can anyone reach out to you or find out more about the projects you're working on? Well, my other guilty pleasure other than cinema, uh, Tim, is LinkedIn. It's the, having a little bit of an addictive personality, it's the only social media channel that I allow myself to uh, to go a little bit sort of like crazy on. So uh, LinkedIn is is usually where you'll find me sort of like talking about my uh, my gigs. Uh, but equally, I mean, if there's anyone who, you know, is, is looking for advice or wants to connect, very, very simple, uh, personal email, nickpeel8 at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Love to hear from you. I'm sure you'll be bombarded with that. I hope Nick, so. it's been an absolute pleasure. You have been the kindest in the room. Thanks, Nick. Tim, thank you. Take care. Pleasure. Hi. Um, we don't often do this, but certainly when we have guests on that really add value to the podcast, uh, we can't help but uh, add some additional information. Um, Nick's going to share with you a, a brief story, and um, I'm sure you'll agree once you listen to this, you're one that will add value to not only your, your day and, and your week, but certainly your, your year coming up. Uh, Nick, tell us uh, briefly uh, the story. Yeah, true, true story, and it's, it's one I recall when, uh, when I get involved with talking to kids at school or college, uh, colleges, et cetera, who are just about to embark upon a, a professional career. But during my time at, at Arsenal, uh, bearing in mind we were the commercial team, we were the suits, you know, we, we weren't necessarily the rock stars that were putting the, the ball in the net on a, on a regular basis. But I'd, not long after I joined the club, I went to the training ground at, at London Colney and uh, Arsene Wenger, the full first-team squad, were there, Fabregas, uh, Wilshire, etc. And they'd finished the training session. And uh, I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time with Mr Wenger talking about uh, the first-team squad's involvement in some advertising and marketing and promotional activity that we're about to do. But uh, there was one player who was going to do a, a photo shoot for us at the end of the, the training session, and after meeting with uh, with Ar- with Arson, I I waited for Robin Van Persie. But after the first team squad training session, I saw him go back out onto the training pitch. This is about four thirty in the afternoon, with a couple of parentheses and two or three bags of footballs, maybe one hundred and fifty footballs. And he was practicing uh, corner kicks, free kicks. Uh, from different sort of positions and the, the 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 kids who were helping him from the youth team were bringing the balls back and as I said this was about sort of like 4.30 and it got dark and the floodlights came on and unsurprisingly the rain came on and uh, you know pretty unsavoury sort of like evening and I waited for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half by which time all the other first-team squad players had gone and disappeared sort of like home. And Mr Van Persie was still out there practising, just free kick after free kick, non-stop, relentless, like a machine. And uh, I naturally waited. Lovely guy, uh, done a piece of work for us. And about two weeks later... I was lucky enough to to go to a game at uh, at the Emirates, and we're about ten fifteen minutes uh, into the game, and I was with my wife and some friends, but also some some business partners that were looking to entertain. And Arsenal got a free kick, about twenty five meters sort of like out from uh, from the goal, and Robin took the ball, and it, it, the back of my mind, I think I must have seen him do this. 40 or 50 times on that particular evening. And he put the ball down, took a few steps back and bent a sublime free kick into the top right-hand corner and the stadium went fantastic. And the people that were with me said, it must be incredible to be so naturally talented. And I had to say to them, guys, I'm sure he is. You know, He obviously does have a natural talent. But let me tell you, I watched him 
for two hours one night, hit literally hundreds, hundreds of those balls into that sort of like space. And I think the moral of the story is hard work, preparation and hard work every single time. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Thanks for sharing that extra gem, Nick. And uh, again, if there's any lesson that you learn, hard work, dedication, preparation, are all the values that you need. It's been a pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.